Hello, and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer or artist and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field, along with contest winners and a few surprise guests. Today we are speaking with our 1991 Grand Prize winner with his story, Georgie, James Glass. Hi, James. Hi, John. How are you doing? I'm doing good. So, as we talked about in, in, the, in the pre-interview here, you're officially James C. Glass, but all your friends call you Jim. So, for the rest of the interview, I'm just going to call you Jim if that's okay. Great. That's fine. All right. So, like I said, we originally met you back in 1991 when you had... Uh, with the grand prize winner with the story Georgie. And at that time, you, you um, during that time period, were you also an, an active academic or had you already transferred over to going to science fiction? Oh, no. No, I was, uh, I've always been an academic. Academic. That was my uh, day job uh, after I got out of graduate school. That's 1968. So by 91, I already had a pretty long academic career. I'd been at uh, North Dakota State University for 20 years doing research and teaching and was a department head. And But when I entered the contest, I had come out to Spokane, Washington to be a dean of science, math, and technology at Eastern Washington University. So I was here in Spokane, Washington when I entered the contest. So did you find that having a, a PhD in physics made any, how that how that affect your science fiction writing? Well, I think the main thing is that uh, <clears throat> I don't have to worry so much about the science. I mean, I'm pretty well grounded in, in physics, and since my undergraduate major was actually a double major in physics and astronomy, so I've uh, kept up with astronomy pretty good, too. So a lot of the science I didn't have to research out. I tend to write hard science fiction novels. Uh, some of the short stories get a little softer, but any place where there's science, usually I... I'm up on most of it, and I don't have to do a lot of research for it. I think that's the main difference. I'm educated in science. Yeah, because I just, we talked, you just listened to a podcast interview I did with Corey Lee, who's also a, a, right. a, a PhD in physics. And she talked, we discussed with her, like, the use of, of physics, yes or no, in, in her storytelling. And she likes to sometimes take a vacation, so she's writing some fantasy as well. Although she uses right, but yeah, unlike Corey, though I I pretty much stuck with the uh, science fiction. Yeah, and uh, the short stories, short stories have been all over the map. I mean, it's even mainstream fantasy, horror, you know, dark fantasy, horror. But the novels have all been science fiction and uh, fairly hard science fiction based on science. Right. So, how did science fiction fit into your growth as as a, as a scientist, as a as a physicist? Uh. I think it just opened my mind to possibilities, you know. Uh, that's the thing about science fiction that's so nice is that it explores all the possibilities without uh, any kind of constraint. And uh, that helps when you're doing research, certainly in physics. You've got to keep an open mind. Uh, you can't, uh, you know, draw the curve and then plot the data points. You've got to, <laughs> you know, be open to things. But uh, it's kind of hard to tell because when I was a kid... My first interest was, strangely enough, in writing, storytelling. Uh, I was telling stories when I was in kindergarten. Uh-huh. And uh, so I think that the actual writing interest happened before the science. The, the science interest happened in about third grade. And when I was in third grade, I decided I wanted to be an astronomer. My mother took me to Griffith Park Observatory, and uh, I just loved it. And I decided that's what I want to do. But I did end up in physics and astronomy, and then when I graduated, you couldn't buy a job in astronomy in those days, so I, I kept going in physics. But uh, the science came after the writing, but the, the writing, active writing, didn't come until much later. You know, mm -hmm. the science happened long before the actual active writing did. The actual writing didn't start until about junior high school. Right. And, but I was reading science fiction all the time. I, my first novel I ever wrote was, uh, read was uh, Robert Heinlein's The Red Planet. I discovered that in junior high school. And that's, that's when the science fiction reading actually started. When I was in junior high school, I was doing a little writing. In high school, it got very active. Uh, my best friend in high school was an artist, wonderful artist. <clears throat> and... Um, 
we actually uh, went to a convention called SouwesterCon in San Diego that I believe was 1953. That was actually WesterCon 3, I believe. Wow. That was my first convention. And uh, he did all these wonderful Chesley Bonestell-type paintings, and we loaded it all up in his 41 Ford and drove <laughs> down to San Diego because I grew up in Long Beach. Right. And uh, he came back with no paintings whatsoever and a fistful of cash. He sold everything. And I remember uh, Bradbury was the guest of honor, and uh, A.E. Van Vogue was the guest of honor, and Brown was there. Uh, it was a tiny little convention, a little program book, you know, about four pages long. Right. There were probably 50 people there. Uh, but that was WesterCon 3. So that's, and then we put out, he and I put out a uh, fanzine, and they're called Algo, and we, uh, he was the art editor, and I was the editor. And uh, we had several kids writing for us. One kid, Joel Nidal, actually published two stories in Galaxy Magazine when he was 13 years old. And then he was never heard from again. But he published in our little fanzine. So we, we were, you know, seriously active. And I got my first reject from Magazine of Fantasy and Science Fiction about that time, too. It said, not quite, just to, please do try us again. It was a handwritten reject. That was in '53. Yeah. Pardon? That was in '53. Well, this was yeah in high school years. I graduated in '54. Yeah. And uh, then, then I, you know, and then life takes over, right? Yeah. College started and had a major to do and didn't do any writing. Hardly did any reading. (laughs) Got married, had a bunch of kids. Started work in industry. Worked at Rocketdyne in Canoga Park on uh, ion engines and arc jet engines and you know advanced propulsion systems. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, and they actually put me through for a master's degree at Cal State Northridge. And then I double-crossed them and went on to University of Nevada for a Ph.D. But it just sort of evolved from there. I discovered teaching at Cal State Northridge, and I just loved it. So that was a turning point in my life. And all this time, I was doing very little writing. I did take – you remember the famous writer's school? Remember that? It was advertised on the back of matchbooks. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that was a legitimate school. Uh, They had a nice set of volumes and workbooks, and uh, you would do your work and send it in, and they would critique it and send you back the results, and it was very legit. I learned a lot in that thing about technique, but I only finished about two-thirds of it. And uh, so I'm a famous writer's school dropout. (laughs) Uh, But it was a a good school. It eventually folded, but it was uh, it, it did a lot of good work. But uh, that was really the only thing that happened in the writing. So I was still doing a little bit, you know, just a smattering here and there of writing. Yeah. But it didn't really start uh, in earnest until about 1987. So this is a long time after that now. I had a mm-hmm. career established. I had my kids were growing up. You know, just sort of like the rest of my life was defined. And all of a sudden, that writing bug came back and said, okay, now, Jack, it's my turn. <laughs> After all these years, you know, yeah. in the background here, now it's my turn, and it really bit hard. So I started writing pretty seriously, and that was about 1985, somewhere in there. And in 1987, I published my first story in a literary journal uh, put out by Concordia College. So I was in North Dakota at this time, and uh, it's in Moorhead, Minnesota, right across the border from Fargo. And it was a mainstream story. And then a year, two years almost after that, I published, uh, I sold a story to New Black Mask Quarterly. You remember that guy? I do. There was the Black Mask. Uh-huh. Well, they came out with a New Black Mask Quarterly, and then they immediately got in trouble because the old owners of Black Mask uh, sued him, said, you can't use that title. You know, that's our title, Black Mask. Right. And so that magazine folded after they had purchased my story. So my story never appeared. It appeared later in an anthology, but it never appeared in that magazine, but it was the first story I got paid for because I got a kill fee. (laughs) I got a $185 kill fee. So that was my first story that I got paid for. It was actually one that uh, didn't appear in the magazine. And just before I entered the contest, the Writers of the Future contest for the first time, I had sold a story to Aboriginal science fiction. 
Yeah, and you talk about uh, that on your website. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I ended up, I eventually had three stories in that magazine before it uh, folded. But uh, when I entered the contest, I guess I actually officially had, what, one and a half stories <laughs> published yeah. that I had been paid for. Yeah. And uh, uh, I entered, the first time I entered, uh, I used to go to a convention, uh, by this time we were in Spokane, Washington here. And there was a wonderful con in Moscow, Idaho, which is about 90 miles south of Spokane. And they have the Moscow Mafia there. Have you heard of them? I have. Nino Hoffman and all that bunch, Chris Rush, Dean Wesley Smith, all of them. All good friends, all judges. And they were, well, they were the first real people that I met. You know, I had gone to conventions in Minneapolis, MinCon, and, and Winnipeg, and, you know, some other cons while I was in North Dakota, but... Uh, this was the first time I really got involved with writers. And, of course, Alice Budgers was there every year at MossCon mm-hmm. because they had to present the E. Doc Smith Award, and he'd always present that. And uh, Smith's daughter was there, and we just had a wonderful time. We were crammed in this little tiny uh, motel. The reading room was about four feet by four feet, <laughs> and all all the dealers' rooms were in the individual rooms, and it was just a god awful place. And we had more fun there. Yeah, and everybody was real close. And there was about three hundred of us that attended that con. So that's where I met Algis, and uh, so I entered the. So I heard about the contest through those guys, and I entered the first time. I think it was uh, around 97, and I didn't even make the first cut. 87. I got a nice letter back. Didn't make the first cut. There would have been 87. I think it was 87. Yeah. Yeah, It was about two years, I think, before I entered seriously. Yeah. And uh, so this was about a year after that, and Aldous was involved with the contest at that point, and he gave a shortened version of the workshop that the the people that get in the book take in Writers of the Future, you know, that six-day yeah. thing. Yeah. Uh, we got a two-day version of it at the same hotel where Moscon was. So right after the con, some of us stayed on, and we took this abbreviated workshop. And we had to write a story. Uh, you know what? Four in the afternoon, we had to have it ready by eight the next morning for reproduction and stuff. And, no more of this 24-hour stuff. We really got <laughs> short, short chains on the time. And uh, Elvis, you know, uh, uh, critiqued and Nina Hoffman critiqued and and John Gustafson. You remember John? Sure. He was a critiquer. And we had a nice little group of writers, and, oh, I just learned so much in that. Uh, but it was like a real abbreviated version of the workshop that right. they get at Writers of the Future. And uh, at that point, I learned from Elvis that the reason my story had been rejected the first time I submitted it was not because it was poor writing, but because the idea had been done to death. I had an old story idea, and uh, that was the main reason it just got cut. Yeah, creativity remains a really big factor with Writers of the Future to this day. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be new. It's yeah. got to be something new. And um, it wasn't. You know, I thought it might, I thought it was when I wrote it. Uh, I wasn't doing that much reading, actually. If I'd done a lot of reading, I would have known it was an old idea. Uh-huh. But I was still sort of getting back into things, even at that point. So anyway, Aldous Curry's me to enter again. And so right after I got back from the con, I sat down and I wrote Georgie. And, uh, you know, I was deaning. I was a new dean at that point. You know, so I was pretty busy, too. But I could still write short stories. I always did that, even while I was a dean. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I wrote Georgie, and I submitted it, and my God, you know, I won a first place, and and uh, I was just shocked. And uh, that was wonderful. And then I got invited, you know, to the uh, award ceremony, and it's kind of a suspicious thing. <laughs> I guess, uh, you know, in retrospect, I should have known that something was up, but... Uh, I can't remember what the conflict was, but I had something else going on about the same time as the award ceremony. Yeah. Something important that I just had to be at. And they actually changed the date of the ceremony. 
And, uh, you know, I didn't think anything of it. It wasn't that nice, you know. <laughs> and uh, I was in contact with Elvis all this time. And uh, I didn't think anything of it. Oh, that was nice of them you know, to accommodate me so I could get there. And then, of course, lo and behold, I won the grand prize. <laughs> well, I guess they had changed the date. And uh, uh, there was a wonderful group of people that I was with uh, in the writer's workshop. Yeah. And... Uh, are you still in touch? touch with, are you still in touch, like with Mike Garland or just, Michelle Levine? Or? Well, just the only one that I've remained in touch with all these years is at Christmas time. That's Mark Garland, uh-huh. and Mark Mark was second to me in uh, in the quarter that I won. Right, and I kept in touch with Mark. He he, some uh, uh, guy named McGraw. They published some fantasy books with uh, Bain, and. Uh, then he went more to short stuff, so he's, he's still publishing occasionally. Uh, I was in touch with Val Freireich for a while, Yeah, and uh, she did some nice work with Asimov's and had a couple of novels that I'm aware of, and then I just lost touch with her. Otherwise, uh, I didn't really stay in touch with anybody very, very much longer than the year. Right. Uh, but there was only, I would say three or four of us out of our group that really went on to publish quite a bit. And um, I don't know what's happened with Val. I haven't seen her name lately. Yeah, well, she's still doing it. When we did our, our comprehensive review of the first 25 years, we had yourself and Michael Payne, Valerie Freirich, uh, Michelle Levine, and Mark Garland are the main ones that had significant okay. publication. But that's yeah, one of the things, I remember- too. I remember Michelle. Michelle wrote uh, children's stuff, as I recall. Or she had already published a bit. Uh, I just vaguely remember her. I'm getting old and senile, so I don't remember. Her. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really, I'm really ancient history in this contest, as you well know. I do know God, that. Volume seven. You guys are up to thirty-five now. <laughs> no, thirty. Well, we're just getting ready to release. We're. Volume uh, 36 was released in April, and we're oh, right in, in the, uh, the uh, third quarter for Volume 37 will be up in, in just a few days here. Oh, Lord. That's so up to 37 now. Yeah. yeah. 30 years ago. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's amazing. But we're still, you know, very good friends with, um, you're talking about from our very first year, you know, we've had uh, some of the winners that we've been, who've now become judges. You're talking about... Nina Creaky Hoffman, you know, she's she's right. a judge. She's from the first year and and um Chris Rush, she was there from the first year and Dean Wesley Smith, he was the first person to actually walk over the stage and and give get a, an award and uh he's a judge huh. now and he's he's very active and and uh so we've got some people, you know, you're you're in very good company or I could say yeah, they're they're yeah. in very good company with you. Yeah, we've, uh, you know, I've, I've stayed in touch with them. Uh-huh. Of course, I, I did, uh, I sold Dean a story a year ago that was in Pulp House. Uh, oh, great, so I didn't I, know that. I'm still in touch with Dean and Chris. Yeah. Uh, quite a bit. But, uh, and Nina, I see Nina yeah. once in a while. Yeah. Uh, she, I think she's a wonderful writer. She is. I uh, see her once a year when she comes up for the awards event. Yeah. Yeah. So but, how, uh, with all the conventions being canceled now, it's getting hard to see anybody. Yeah, I know for sure. So now with with your with the progression of your career, so you won the Writers of the Future event and you had the workshop. And at the workshop, there were some pretty amazing people there. In addition to there was what Algis and Tim Powers teaching it. Well, Tim Powers at that at that point for Volume Seven, Tim Powers wasn't there much. Okay. Uh, he made an appearance and he gave us some talks, but it was mainly Algis. Okay, so it was Algis. He so Tim. Yeah, came it was back. still in the days when Algis was pretty much running things. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you Tim also. Tim came a little later. Yeah, but there was also. I mean, I'm just looking at some of the uh, pictures from that from that year, you know. And so I see Jack Williamson there and Roger Zelazny, right. and um, there was some. You know, they they were so supportive. I remember talking with Jack Williamson on the phone when he was no longer able to travel, and I'd have to speak very slowly, yeah. very loud, and a lot of times right. his assistant would have to then relay what I said, and then he'd answer. He was he totally appreciated being in communication. He just he got to, when he was approaching a hundred, he was um, a little bit 
well, travel challenge. I had a wonderful <laughs> experience with him, of course, because, uh, you know, we had that party at somebody's mansion mm-hmm. after the awards dinner. Yeah. And uh, I rode in the back seat of the car with Jack Williamson and his son. And uh, Jack and I had a wonderful conversation all the way to the to the party. And uh, he was totally, totally there. Yeah. Uh, it was really a thrill for me because I loved his work. And then, of course, Roger Zelazny was one of my literary gods. And he's the one that came out and handed me my Golden yeah. Ten trophy. And if that wasn't a thrill... So, you know, there were just things about that whole experience that, you know, I'll never forget if I lived to be 120. It was wonderful. Yeah. So now what happened with your writing career? Um, well, actually, first of all, so when you did the, the workshop and the awards event, any particular highlights that stand out for you besides sitting in the back seat with, with Jack Williamson riding all the way to the party? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I just remember that... Uh, uh, it being announced that the creator of Batman was in the audience. Uh-huh. Uh, that was before I knew I'd won. Apparently, some other people had gotten a peek. Some of my crafty colleagues in the workshop had gotten a peek at, at Volume 7, and they saw that my story was first in the volume. And in, in back in those days, the first one was the winner. Uh-huh. Uh, so they, some of the, some of my colleagues knew <laughs> that I had won. And so I had kind of a curious thing. I was supposed to pre- present a, a envelope filled with cash, filled with cash from, from the uh, workshop participants. We were going to give it to Alzis, you know, just as a tip or whatever, the gift. Right. And uh, I can't remember if it was Val. I mean, it was Val that came up and, and handed me this envelope you know, to give to Alzus, and I thought, what the hell, you know, I mean, what am I getting this for, you know, and then, of course, shortly after that, they announced that I was a winner, and my wife was frozen in shock, and I was kind of shocked, too, I I just really hadn't guessed, I knew I had a shot at it, I knew I had a good story, but there were a lot of other good stories in that book, too, so, you know, it's, uh, my attitude about that has always been, you know, everybody in that book is a winner, and, you know, I I was just lucked out the committee opinion was in my favor, <laughs> yeah. but everybody in that book was a winner. And I think that's always true. It is. It uh, is always true. And it's just, it, it so gives a the really, luck of the draw sort of, you know? Yeah. Well, it gives a good, a good platform for anybody that wins to, to take the next step forward as a writer, because at that point your, your work automatically comes out of any slush piles by any editor. Right. Anyway, those are events, those are events that, you know, sort of stand out in my memory of, what happened in the Christmas? My heart was thumping hard when I went up on stage to accept the award. Yeah, uh, didn't really know what to say, but I got something squeaked out, <laughs> and uh, and then it was such a thrill to see Roger come out on the stage with that that giant heavy trophy. Yeah, and because uh, I just uh, I really he, he and Harlan Ellison were my two literary gods, and uh, I never met Harlan. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, uh, it, it was a thrill. And then the dinner, at the dinner, I sat next to, uh, what's his name, Schwartz? Julie Schwartz? The guy that was involved with Superman. Yeah, Julie Schwartz. Yeah, Joe Schwartz. And uh, we had a wonderful conversation during dinner. I was late for dinner because they kept me for so, so long after the interview. I for think the photos? I was half finished with dinner yeah. by the time I got there. Yeah. But uh, that was nice, too. And they were so nice to Gail. Everybody was so nice to my wife. Um well, that's a that's so a given. She she's a such a, a lovely person. Yeah, she's just such a yeah, lovely. Person. She had a great time. Yeah, that's and great. then of course the next year, we had a, a a plus on that, you know, because the next year, you had the uh, ceremony at the Smithsonian, in Washington, mm-hmm. and I got to, I was I was invited to go to that to present the uh, trophy to the next winner, and uh, got to say a little something and toured the Smithsonian and had a wonderful time. Well, that's so we had two pluses there. That's good. Now I'm just I'm just curious because this is a, a a contest, and I don't know how much you've actually read of Elwin Hubbard's works, but um, oh, I've read I've got his complete. I have the complete <laughs> collection. Was that seventy five books? Yeah, those little chapbooks of uh, all of oh, his the, stuff the short that came stories, out of the yeah. magazines, the yeah. westerns, and everything. I have all of them. Any and, particular uh, favorites you've got, or anything about his style? That oh you've God, read? I couldn't I couldn't tell you now because there's so many titles. Yeah, I actually uh, 
if he had if I had to pick between his westerns, his airplane stories and his science fiction stories, I'd pick his westerns. I think I enjoyed his westerns the most. That's funny. But, I, uh, I they were all pretty good. much yeah, I I really I really like his westerns a lot myself. I mean I was raised yeah. in, in Arizona, so I I love the whole that whole scenery and that whole I guess that sense of morality and ethic which is, you know, in the in the westerns. The guy that can learn to do better. So I actually have to agree with you on that myself, too. Yeah, I mean, he wrote more Westerns and uh, Oriental adventure-type stuff than he wrote science fiction when it came to the magazine stories, at least the ones that were included in that collection. Correct. And then, of course, the one novel I've read, I've read some of his novels, including Battlefield Earth, which took me forever to read. And, you know, it was just 900 pages of exhaustive reading because the action never slowed, even. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the, the, my favorite novel of his, by far, is Fear. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's the best psychodrama I've ever read in my life. Yeah, he's had, he's had so many great, you know, um, yeah. blurbs given about that from major authors. So it's great coming from yourself as well. So I have read quite a bit of his work. And then, of course, uh, you know, we got, we got a real education in our workshop on how he did it, yeah. you know, and getting ideas and stuff. And, and that was uh, the high point for me of the workshop was getting story ideas and how to generate them and going out on interviews and observing people. And I actually wrote a story that got published uh, um, because I interviewed, a, I saw a rattlesnake in a jewelry store window. Uh-huh. I thought, what in the world is a rattlesnake doing in a jewelry store window? And I went in and I asked the owner, I said, what's, what's with the rattlesnake in your window? And he said, oh, that's Fred. <laughs> he said, it's a pet. He's been defanged. You know, he's safe. But I just keep him in the window as a pet. You know, he's something to, you know, conversation piece. Indeed. So I read, later wrote a story about a burglar that is terrified of snakes that sneaks into a, 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 a jewelry store at night to rob it and finds that the owner has let the snake loose. It's sort of a burglar defense. Uh, and it's not defanged. And this guy is in there in the dark with this snake. And uh, when the police come to catch him in the morning, finally, he's just totally out of his mind. And uh, I got published in a little mystery magazine. So I got something out of it. That's good. But the story I wrote for my critique... Uh, never did get published. Okay. Uh, you know, it was just something written. It was, yeah, same old bitch. You know, I, I kid the people in the workshops now. I say, you guys get so much time to get your work done. We got our order at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and we had to have that story turned in at 8 o'clock the following morning. Blah, 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 blah. You know, and uh, you get 24 hours. You know. But... Uh, <laughs> Guy, we had one guy in our workshop that wrote a 10,000-word novelette. Really? Turned it in, 8 o'clock the next morning. And that guy, geez, I can't remember his name now. He was a librarian. And he'd never published anything. And all of us agreed that this guy was the best writer of all of us. The guy was incredible. And, and he took the workshop uh, and was never heard from again. You know, wow. and that, the talent talent that guy had was incredible. You just never know. Yeah, that's a fact. Now, since that, since that workshop and since uh, that time period back there in 91, you've written, looks like, uh, at least published 14 novels. And, no, I've uh, got 10 novels, 10 novels and four story collections. Oh, okay, that's what Yeah, I've got 14 books, all told, but okay. four of them are anthologies, one, one author anthologies. Okay. And I've got I've got one of my first one was a, actually a collection of my dark stuff. A lot of dark fantasy stories are most of them are published on a magazine called Tailbones. Uh-huh. That was a wonderful little magazine. It finally went under. But uh, it lasted for a lot of years. I had 10 stories in Tailbones. No, that's a great magazine. And, uh, that was a wonderful magazine and and uh, I had a story in the Best of Tailbones and and Patrick Swenson of course has been one of my editors. Uh he runs Fair, Fairwood Press. And he published one of my uh, anthologies and published one novel. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of my recent work has been from Wildside Press. My first books were with Bain. Uh, 
Actually, Algis was the uh, submissions editor at Bain. Yeah, way back, yeah. Yeah, way back. But uh, so you're still publishing for? Are you still publishing for Bain? Yeah, yeah. Pardon? Are you still publishing for Bain? Or being writing? I send them stuff, but I haven't written a real Bain story since since the the second one. Yeah, Tony Weisskopf is the publisher now. It's very they're very narrow. Uh, You know, you got to write good military science fiction. I mean, that's what that's really what they want. Yeah, and. I haven't really written a Bane novel since that second one. Right. There was two two books with Bane. And also what happened, too, is that I had probably the best agent in the business, uh, uh, Kid. Virginia? Virginia yeah. Kid. And uh, even when I was working with Virginia, she was a brittle diabetic. She was pretty sick. And uh, when she died, the agency just sort of, you know, went to pieces. Yeah, that was so. I, at that time, yeah. I, you know, was established enough that I just started working without an agent, and that's what I've been doing since. But uh, probably would have been a good idea to get an agent. I might have more, you know, big house. Yeah. Books. But Wildside Press has done well for me, and that's not exactly a small press. No, that's good. If you're, you know, you're. They publish. A, they publish a lot of books. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I'm just having a good time with it. Uh, last year, you know, I'm 82 now, um, so I've slowed some. And also, I've gotten into art pretty heavy. I'm a, a painter. Uh, I paint in pretty much every medium, uh, oils, uh, pastels, watercolors, primarily occasional acrylic. Um, I do scenics. Yeah, uh, red rock stuff from Arizona and mountains and deserts and ocean scenes and whatnot. And I have a gallery, Desert Art Center in Palm Springs, that shows my work. I've had several galleries in Spokane, Washington here, but <laughs> over the years they've all closed. Yeah, uh, this is a tough town for art, uh, but I sell enough to keep myself in, you know, canvas and paints, and that's it's fun. I just have a good time. And uh, last year. So that's taken some of my time away from the writing. But last year I had a new novel that came out uh, called Synths, S-Y-N-T-H-S. Uh, it was actually about a little uh, uh, artificial intelligence character named Melody Lane who had appeared in an analog story back in 95, and everybody loved the character. So I went back and wrote her life story, and it's called Synths. And then I had the cover story, a cover story for Analog last March, uh, this year, I've got two stories circulating right now. I'm waiting to hear from. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've got uh, a new anthology that just came out this month. It's called uh, Strange Worlds Near and Far. And it has a lot of my analog stories in it, and it has Georgie in it. Wow. So so it's sort of a, a comprehensive uh, anthology. Uh, I'm not saying it'll be my last one, but it could be comprehensive anthology of my entire career and uh i've written a you know fairly long introduction and that's when you're going to send that's when you're going to send to us for the library that's when i'll send to Joni. uh awesome and uh for your library yeah i think you have all my books yeah i think so uh, well i don't know that we do but i've you've got a, a pretty sizable collection in there yeah i don't know do you ever take magazines because I could send a copy of that uh, analog, but I had the cover story for it, too. But. Um, people sent them to us, but those, they, go, they just go into a shelf underneath because we have so many books. We, the, the library itself, we try to keep all the different novels there because there's... Okay, I'll After 36 the book, years, we have a lot of... Yeah, uh, I bet. Yeah. Okay, I'll yeah. just send the book. So anyway, uh, I'm still doing it, and I, right now I'm working on two novels. Uh, they're actually expanded versions of two stories that have appeared in magazines. But when I wrote the stories, I knew that there was a novel there. Right. If I told the whole story, I'd have a novel. So I'm, I'm working on that right now. I've actually got three novels cooking, but two that are past the cooking stage. I mean, they're ready to write. <laughs> oh, good. So I'm working on those. Good. Now, in terms of, because of, we're talking about writers of the future here, and you have have um, developed a very... Uh, long and successful career as a as a writer, moving from being a uh, career educator with um, your mm-hmm. PhD in physics to then writing. Mm-hmm. What advice would you have first to just an aspiring writer, and then second to someone how to transition a career from 
it was a successful career you had, but you just you embraced your love, it seems like, a bit more with uh, writing. So, first of all, what advice do you have for the aspiring writer? Well, and first of all, uh, it has to be understood that I was never a full-time writer, uh, not even now. Uh, I had other things going on. Now it's art and writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that, it was... Uh, you know, science research, teaching, and uh, administrative work and writing. So I always had a part-time career in writing. Okay. And I and that was fine for me. That was good for me. I never tried to uh, be a full-time writer and give up my day job. Uh-huh. Uh, so I, I can't give any advice to anybody that wants to do that, that wants to, you know, I got plenty of good advice from Dean and Chris, you know, in their, they call it the Dean and Chris show. Right. About where you should be before you try to transition into full-time writing. You know, you better have a bunch of novels out there that are pay, paying you royalties regularly and uh, before you even attempt to make the switch. But I never attempted to make the switch. I didn't have to. See, in 1999, I retired from teaching and deaning, and I hung it up. So I hung up the academic career and the physics research, and then I just switched over to writing. So then writing and painting became my new job, per se. Right, right. And uh, my production went up, because, especially the novels, because the novels didn't start until I retired. Yeah. The whole time I was working, all I could do was write short stories. I didn't have time to, to do a novel. I mean, I was coming home angry and brain dead as a dean every night. <laughs> uh, but I could write short stories, right. you know, it, it, a little bit each evening and then on the weekend. So the first novels came when I retired. So there's been 10 novels since uh, literally 1999. And um, and then I kept on with the short stories. Right. I, I love short stories. They're, they're actually my favorite thing to do. And uh, I've got a lot of those. Right. So I've probably written 60, 70, 70 short stories right now, published. But uh, then, and then I, collect, I collect them regularly. You know, I get an, enough for an anthology, and then I immediately uh, put together an anthology. So I... At this point, really, almost all my stuff has been anthologized at least once. Right. And then I've written for other people's anthologies, too. But, uh, you know, I think, you know, you just go with your head. You know, if you, if you want to be a full-time writer, that's a different, uh, that's a different road to travel. Uh, you really ha- have to wait until you have some real good success with regular money coming in f- from royalties. And you know that your books are going to have some staying power before you dare... Uh, make the switch. But if you're not going to go that way, there's really not much to say about it. You just do what you love to do. You know, I loved teaching. I loved research. Didn't love the administration so much. But I loved teaching and research, and uh, I loved writing. And so I did all three. You know, I just made the time, blocked out the time to do all three. So that's... So I I had a number of years there where, you know, five to seven in the morning was my writing time. Right before I went to work, and it, uh, it paid off, you know, but I was just writing short stories. Now, you make a point, you, mean you, just, need to, you just need to do it. It's like, so there's a definite, when I talk to some people, say, well, I, well, you know, I'd love to be able to write, but I just can't, and I think there's a mindset, too, that maybe you can discuss, because even as a dean, even as all these different things, you still made the time to write when you, you know, so how does that, how does that fit in? Well, you know, I, I'm a strong believer that if you have a talent for writing, uh, the writing bug is going to really go after you. And it's going to make you find the time. I mean, like I just said, five to seven in the morning. I, th- I got to that point where the only time I could find to write was five to seven in the morning. But I wanted to get it done. Right. So I had no problem getting up early and writing from five to seven and then going off and doing a full-day job and maybe come back and do a little more in the evening. But I could turn out work pretty fast that way. Right. Uh, but I think it's the talent that's there that drives it. Some people say, oh, I don't have the talent to write, but I want to write so bad. Well, if you, have, you want to write so bad, you probably have the talent. But you've got to learn the craft, too. Mm-hmm. So it's not enough to have talent. You've got to learn the craft. And the best way to do that, I think, is to read. Just read, 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 read. And if you can take some good workshops or if you have a good uh, writer's group that you can belong to, and, and by that I don't mean your 
best friends that are going to tell you what wonderful things you do. You know, the people that are going to tell you what you need to hear, what you're writing, not what you'd like to hear. Right. And uh, I'm lucky now, every time I finish something, I send it to one of my writer's friends, and I, I still get critiques on everything I do before I send it in. Yeah. There are people that I, you know, trust and and respect that critique my writing, and uh, they always see things I don't see. So it's a, it's a combination of talent and craft, and you have to learn the craft. And... Uh, Boy, that writer, the writer's workshop that I took, at least, was more about story generation than it was about craft. I mean, you know, punctuation and grammar and all that stuff. That really wasn't part of the workshop. It still isn't. It still isn't about that. Yeah, it was, a, it was about generating story ideas and, and the business of writing. That was in there, too. And it was extremely useful. And, and I, I did take Dean, Chris and Dean's. Uh, class that was a two-day class after a Westercon, yeah. and that was very useful, especially for the business side yeah. of uh, writing because that's important too. It is. We recently came out with a um, Ellen Hubbard Writers of the Future online workshop, which all right, I saw that. Yeah, which has uh, about thirteen videos from both Orson Scott Card, Tim Powers, and uh, Dave Wolverton, Dave Farland. And, mm -hmm. and about ten essays from Mr. Hubbard, as well as the Algis Budras seven the seven parts of a story essay, mm -hmm. and that's been very successful. We have almost three thousand people on the course. It just came out a little over a month ago, and yeah. um, so that's it. It follows that same precept. It's uh, it's definitely not the full thing that person's going to get if they win the the contest, mm -hmm. but it gives some good pointers and some good steps of, like you said, how to how to write a story, how to how to come up with how to deal with suspense and how do you find different characters and how do you get, you know, dialogue and narration and, and all these right. things here, which they get into, which, um, and you're also being told the way that the videos are going, it's like, they're just talking Drake to you. They're like, they're face on to you talking. So that makes a really nice difference too, for the, for the people, you know, watching the, the videos and learning. Uh, I have taught the, the, uh, writer of the teacher workshop at conventions. And I've gotten together with other people uh, to teach different parts of it. You know, we have uh, uh, workshops at conventions as part of the program, and you can take two or three classes, you know. Right. So it's a sort of a quick summary of what's in the program. I know, and that was great. And, uh, that's worked out pretty good for people, too. Yeah. Uh, Everything, the whole idea of the Rise of Features is to help the aspiring writer to, like, have some tools, have the wherewithal to to be able to uh, address that, that desire and also to, to help provide for the future of science fiction and fantasy, of which you are a classic example of, of how that's paid off. Right. And there's something else that I think needs to be done uh, that I don't see being done, uh -huh. and that is some warnings. Um, I, I'm sure it happens to a lot of people. It happened to me. Of course, you know, you get home from the Writers of the Future and you just won this giant trophy, right? Mm -hmm. And so you're Mr. Hotshot of the Week, and you're <laughs> sitting there looking at a blank computer screen that says, okay, now what, now what hotshot? Uh, now you're with the pros. And uh, I, I published, well, everybody won the story from me, you know, after I won the contest. Yeah. And it went on like that for, God, I don't know, four or five years. But after about four or five years, I hit a dry spot. I don't know what happened, whether I wasn't writing the right thing or what, but all of a sudden, no one wanted a story for me. And this went on for almost two years. And I was, you know, putting out some work. And uh, I thought, my God, I've lost it all. I'm done. You know, I'm finished. And I was ready to quit. And I was at a convention. This is another uh, Moscon. I was at a convention, and Nina was there. Nina Hoffman was there. Yeah. And... Uh, Roger Zelazny was there. He was the guest of honor. And I was so ashamed that I wouldn't even sit with the other writers. I was, you know, cowering off in a corner with my wife, you know, at the dinner. And Nina got wind of this. And she whispered something to Roger. And Roger came over and grabbed me by the elbow and steered me into a corner and gave me a very stern lecture about uh, the ups and downs of being an author. And one of the things he asked me uh, really hit home, and he says, why do you want to write? 
Why do you want to write? Do you even know why you want to write? Do you want to be famous? Do you want to be wealthy? Uh, what do you want with your writing? And I hadn't really thought about it. Anyway, he uh, you know, gave me a reason to take a second look at myself. And, of course, you know, like I said, Roger was <laughs> one of my literary gods, you know. Yeah. God was talking to me. <laughs> and so I went home, and I thought about it, and I discovered this book by Julie Cameron called The Artist's Way. Have you heard of that, that book? I have not. Yeah, it's Julie Cameron, The Artist's Way. And this is another book that's taught at a lot of conventions. Um, I went through that book like a 12-step program. And in that book, she asked you to look at why you want to write. And I had to discover that the little kid inside of me that wanted to write didn't care whether I was published or not, didn't care whether I was paid or not. He just wanted to write. He wanted to tell a story. And once I got that straight in my mind, I never had that problem again. So even when I'd, you know, I'd get occasional dry spells, i just keep on writing because the kid wants to tell the story. Yeah, and that's all the kid wants. And if I sell them, great. I get paid, great. If I get famous, great. But it's not necessary. The thing that's necessary is to get the work done, to tell the story. And um, so I haven't had that difficulty since. But that's a trap that people can get into, and a lot of people quit writing just because they get into that. Right. And a lot of good people, you know, that could be quite successful, have quit because they got discouraged when they didn't sell or they didn't make big money. Mm -hmm. And I won't mention names, but I think it actually happened to some of my colleagues in the, in the workshop that right. I was in. Quite possibly then. So, yeah. so you know, uh, there's a danger. You know, it's a, there's some psychology in this too. And, and uh, it's, so it's a good idea to ask yourself, why do I want to write? What drives me to, to tell stories? Because some people just do it for money or because they want to be famous or something. And then when it doesn't happen, then they say, oh, well, you know, poop on it. But not so James Glass. Not so. The little Jimmy wants to tell stories, <laughs> period. And I'm fine with that. Well, that's great. Now, for someone who wants to find out about these stories from uh, little Jimmy, where do they go? Uh, most of the books are, uh, well, first of all, I have a new website, you know, sff.net had, had a whole bunch of us, uh, uh, on their, uh, web pages, but they went under here a few years ago. Right. So all of us had to run out and get new web pages. So I've, my, my new web page now is, uh, www.author, A-U-T-H-O-R dash jamesglass.com. And I would appreciate it if people would check out my website because I have a forum there where we discuss new new things that are happening and we just discuss science fiction in general. And uh, I've got a bookstore on there where you can see all my books. When you can't find books in the stores, you can get them. They're all at Amazon now. Uh, I see a bunch of them at Powell's listed. Wildside Press has a lot of my stories, of course, because they published them. Uh, there are places on the uh, line that you can find my books. Yeah. Now, if a person is not familiar with you, what would you recommend? <laughs> is it, what would you recommend as a good first story? First, uh, no, first it novel. It depends on what kind of what kind of a story they like. Uh, if they like something that's a little science fantasy like, I would recommend Shanji. S H A N J I. That was my uh, first novel with a Chinese culture. Mm -hmm. And it's a uh, science fiction stretched to the extreme. So, uh, you know, there's science fiction or there's physics in there that can't even be tested because you'd have to get inside a black hole to test it. And we can't do that. Right. Uh, but I would recommend that one. And then if you like mystery, military type stuff, I'd recommend Sedona Conspiracy. Um uh, if you like cosmology, then I recommend BrainGate. Let's see. If you like artificial intelligence, uh, the most recent one since, I would recommend. Uh, I've covered a whole lot of bases. I've got one one that was a bestseller for some months called Visions, and that was uh, the science in that is anthropology, actually. <laughs> wow. Uh, it, it's based in the Sierra Nevada mountains in the gold rush days. 
and I got a race of people that are uh, descended from uh, uh, a combination of Neanderthals and Cro-Magnon people. And then I threw in a little fantasy. I had one little girl that could cast visions and stuff. So that's where the title comes from. So it's sort of a science fantasy book. Mm-hmm. And uh, that book uh, sold extremely well. And then it went on audio, and it was a bestseller for almost a year. I think it was on the audio bestseller thing. I think it was because everybody thought it was a Western, and truck drivers love Westerns. <laughs> but, but they kept buying it. So, uh, But that that one I recommend if you, if you want something that doesn't have the real hard science, you know, it's more of an anthropology right. type of thing. Well, that's great. So, you know, there's a lot of different books to look at. Uh, you can find them on the website and, uh, Amazon, I think has nearly all of them. And, and, uh, yeah, I'm definitely going to make sure that I want to make sure that your website is definitely promoted, um, very conspicuously when I, when we upload this, uh, podcast, I want to share it around. Great. Great. Yeah. Cause, uh, I'd like to get more activity than I'm getting because a lot of people, I haven't rediscovered it. You know, they were, they were following me really uh, in numbers on sff.net, and then when that went under and we changed sites, you know, all of a sudden I'm not getting the contacts that I'd like yeah, to get. Yeah, we'll definitely, we'll definitely do that, see what we can do to help on that. So anyway, the beat goes on. I'm still doing it. That's awesome. And uh, at age 82, I'm not up with Jack Williamson yet. I think he was, how old was Jack when he died, 95, 96? I think it was just over that, but he was... Yeah, because he was still working on a novel when he died. Yeah. Uh, he's amazing. Yeah. That was wonderful talking to him that one time. Yeah, he was, he, he so appreciated the contest and helping out the aspiring writer. Yeah. Well, this has been great speaking with you, Jim, and I very, you know, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this, and I, hopefully when this goes out there, we have enough people that can discover an amazing author, uh, as a result. Great. Appreciate it. Great. And yeah. Publicity is always good. <laughs> That's a fact. It totally is. And yeah. everybody else out there listening, thank you also for listening. Subscribe to the Writers of the Future podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The Writers of the Future podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, Player FM, iHeart, and Spotify. Writers and Illustrators of the Future are contests created by Owen Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to new and amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. Once again, thank you very much, Jim. Okay. 